Oh, we're going to do a repeat. Good morning. How's everybody? It's good to see everyone today. I hope your weekend's going well. So we're starting a new series called The Grudge. Who in here is likely to hold on to things? Yes, we like to hold on to things. We like to uh, kind of let things go over and over in our mind, and, and we like to keep them up there for the long haul. And we think that by the more we hold on to it and the more we hold tight to it, that we're punishing that person that hurt us. A few years ago, we, uh, we there, as early on as a church, uh, did a, we were moving into something that I believe God was calling us to. And one of the things that took place during that is I was in Scripture and I was reading about um, biblical eldership and we did this whole message series and all of this. And, and as a result of it, I had an individual show up at my driveway and this particular individual proceeded to rib me or give me the riot act up and down and tell me everything that I'm not and everything that I need to stop doing and just gave me everything I needed to in my driveway on a Friday afternoon, Friday evening. And I sat there and I and I took a deep breath and I didn't punch her because you don't hit women. Um, I didn't. Thank you, thank you, Jason. Um, my brother will attest that I did throw a book across my house that she had handed me and uh, I did not read it by any means. Um, but this particular thing, I have a tendency as your pastor to sometimes hold on to things that I shouldn't. I hold on to things that people say to me that I need to quickly let go because there's no truth in it. Um, so I'm giving you a little, a little insight into my life. If you ever want to get underneath my skin, just say something bad about me and then you've got me. Um, so I'm working on this grudge piece. I'm working on how do I get rid of these grudges in my life because what I found is if I focus in on those grudges in life, guess what I become? Ineffective. Because I'm so focused on this and how I was wronged and I focus on how someone that said something to me was hurtful and, and, and painful and I'll focus in on that. And, and through a period, a series of phone conversations and and all of this, I was able to get to a point of being able to get over it. And so today's message is get over it. Now, let me be very clear in this is I'm not coming at you in the sense of like your your grandpa who when you hurt something is like, just get over it. No, I'm not coming at it like that, right? Because I grew up in a house where the common, common theme was, what's your problem? Just get over it. Don't look at my dad. Don't. Because here's what's interesting. As, as, as some of us is like, oh, that's, there's so much truth in it. There is so much. I mean, like we think there's so much wisdom in that statement. I want you to say it with me. Just Here's what we're going to say. Just say, I'm over it. Ready? One. Well, hold on. One, two, three. I'm over it. Do you know that if you tell yourself something long enough that actually it comes to truth, it comes to be? So sometimes, like someone calls you a failure, and we take that in, and then we start to believe it. We let something, in, and the reality of it is, is we're not failures. We've just had a lot of learning opportunities. Did you all hear that? 
we're not failures. We've had a lot of learning opportunities. Anybody ever watch a, a painter called Bob Ross? Anybody know who Bob Ross is? My favorite thing about Bob Ross. If you don't know who I am, who I am. If you don't know, if you don't know who Bob Ross is, go home on Google or YouTube, um, and I want you to to YouTube or just search for um, Happy Accidents. My my kids have a problem with they they I don't know maybe it's because I'm, I'm their dad or whatever but there's a perfectionist piece where they they got to have everything perfect. And what's interesting is is um, I got my son Josh and we walk in and because he was working on some art project I said Josh come in here, and I put Bob Ross on the team. He's got a big old fro if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, and he's got and he's just this calm soothing voice and like you could fall asleep. It's great, and he's over there and he's painting. And he messed some canvas up, and he goes through, and he, and he says this statement, there are no mistakes, there's just happy accidents. And there's so much of our lives that we need to realize is that some things that there's just some happy accidents that we have, and we just need to get over it. Because here's what happens. We, we get things said to us. We do things, we make mistakes, people make mistakes, people harm us, people will say the stupidest things, and you, and you guys know this happens. They act from a place of hurt, and their idea is, is how can I hurt those around me? They don't intentionally do it, they just do it. And so as we look at the grudges that we hold, here's been my prayer as we go into this. As we go into this year, as we go into this series, my prayer is, is that we would learn to get over the little things in life. Here's the truth of the matter. The truth is this. No one has ever changed the world for the better holding on to a grudge. No one has ever said their life was better because they held on to a grudge. No one. And here's what happens when I hold on to a grudge. Guess what becomes my focus? That grudge, that person that wronged me, that thing that was done, that thing that I can't get, tend to get over. My life's not better by holding on to it. My life is not, I'm not making the world a better place by holding on to it. Therefore, why do I keep holding on to something that is causing me and the and people around me so much damage. And so for today, we're going to learn how to say, say it with me, I'm over it. Now, notice I didn't say get over it. It's not me commanding you to. This is you making a claim in your life to say, you know what? It's not worth holding on to. So I am going to get over it. So go with me to Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 reads this. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I want to focus in on a few things here as, as we dive into this. Another passage I want us to look at, and we're going to get here, but I want, to, I want us to hear it a couple times today. Colossians 3.13 says this, 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us, so you also must forgive. And so as we figure out why I should be getting over it or why I should get over it, we need to look at what's the benefit. Because of some of us, we are very comfortable holding on to grudges. Like that's, be, that's become a part of who we are. That's become a part of our household. That's become a part of my life. And so I'll hold on to it. And then there's a part of it that they, we, we believe the lie that we're hurting the people around us the more I hold on to that grudge or the more I hold on to that offense or the more I hold on to it. And what happens is, is we're not hurting anybody but ourselves and we're not even hurting anybody but those closest to us by holding on to that grudge. And so what, how does it benefit me? How does it benefit me? Or what does it do? One, it's all about, it's, it starts with how it benefits me. Notice that um, it talks this. Um, as I look at this, as I look at why, the why behind it, is there's a benefit for me. Forgiveness is this, and let's define it before we go any further. Forgiveness is this. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, there was a sacrifice that was made. And the sacrifice that was made, God took an animal and he killed it. And then he used that particular piece to do what? To cover up their nakedness. To cover up their shame from their fall. As you read throughout the Old Testament, you learn that there were sin offerings made by the people. And so what happens is that during a period of time... The Israelites, would, they would come over and they would have to make a sin offering. They would have to make some type of payment for their wrongdoing towards God, for their sin. Over time, it became this particular piece where you would have to make this sin offering, the sacrifice that the priest would come in, and they would, they would kill an animal and they would use the blood. And I know this sounds grotesque, but this is how they would do it. And that particular act was done so that they could receive forgiveness. We come to the point in where we hear about Jesus, and Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, the one that came, sent by God, and he was sent to the cross to die, and he was there to do what? He was there to make payment for our sins. Scripture tells us that Jesus said, it is finished. Another way of looking at it is this, is he said to the Father, it is paid for. See, what happens is this, is when somebody wrongs me, I feel like I'm owed something. And this is nothing new. This is like this is nothing profound because it's been from the beginning of time. God himself even said, when you step away from me, when you turn away from me, guess what? You have to make some type of payment for your sin. And so a lot of times, here's what we believe. We take on that same mentality that says if somebody has wronged me, they do what? They owe me something in return. They owe me something in return. What are they going to do to pay for the wrong that they've caused me? What are they going to do to show me that they're remorseful? What are they going to do to show me that they, they, they won't do it again? And we, wanna, we want to have something. We want something in return for the, uh, the harm that has been caused to us, the pain that we feel. And, the, and, the, and the, so a lot of times as we escalate it because we want something even more because we're going to come into this victim mentality. And so we just want more. And then, so we're just going to hold on until they give us exactly what we're looking for, for that payment of that sin. 
And in this particular piece, we see that this carries on even into our own souls where we wrestle with this. And so what does forgiveness look like? Just like God has forgiven us, it's this. There was a payment made for our sins. There was a payment made for our wrongdoing. And it was Jesus. We don't have to offer any sin offering. We don't have to offer any sacrifice. We don't have, it was already done for by Jesus. Every sin, past, present, and future is forgiven. We can either reject it or receive it by believing in Jesus. And the forgiveness comes because of this. Forgiveness is this. God saying, you no longer owe me anything. You no longer owe me a thing for the wrong that you've done. It's already been paid for. So he releases us of anything we may owe him. Y'all hear me? He releases us of anything we may need to pay for the wrong that we do. And the same example he gives us in Colossians, he said, Just as you have been forgiven, so you forgive. Just like we didn't have to make a single payment for the wrong that we did, a single offering for the wrong that we did, when we look at forgiving other people, we need to be willing to release them of anything that we feel they owe us. And in that particular releasing is where forgiveness takes place. Because if I hold on to it, and I still want payment for the wrong done to me. I have not yet forgiven. Notice that I did not say that forgiveness is forgetting. There is some of the things that have been done to us over, the, over our lifetimes, we will never forget. The scars are there. The wound is there. And it, we won't forget till we stand before God and we are completely healed. There are certain things that we just won't forget. But you know what the difference is? The difference is this. Is when I learn to release people of what they've done to me, they no longer have power over my life. But if I hold on to it, that lady that, that chewed me up and down, that lady that told me everything that was wrong with our church, that lady that sat there and did all of that, the best thing I ever did was I forgave her. She walked in the door the following Sunday, so that was Friday, Sunday. I gave her a hug, told her she was forgiven, and I would still walk with her. So she left the church. Released. Don't owe me a thing. When we learn to start saying, I'm over things, and start releasing things, it benefits me. So why should I be willing to get over something? Because it purely benefits me and my soul. When I release somebody of something, there's a huge benefit on me. I'm not carrying it around. It's not hurting me anymore. They don't have power over me anymore. And therefore, it benefits me. Again, Bearing with one another, Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Did y'all, just kind of a side note, I'm not going to dive into it too much right now. I'll get to it there in a couple weeks. But notice that it say, um, so when you feel like it, you must forgive. So, you, so if you, you're okay with it, no, what does it say? Because you have forgiven, you do what? You must to command. Why would God give us such a command? Guess what? Because he knows what's best for us. He knows exactly what we need. And so he said, do this. I mean, he tells us, listen, he tells us to love him. With our heart, soul, mind, body. He tells us to love him with everything. Why? Because that's what's best for us. He tells us not to harm one another, to kill each other. Why? Because that's what's best for us. He tells us not to commit adultery. He gives us these commands because he knows what's best for us. In the same way, in this particular passage, as Paul's writing, he knows what's best for us. We must learn to forgive. Why? Because it benefits us. benefits me. Second thing is this. Why, do, why, why should I be willing to get over things? Here's why. As we read Ephesians 4.1 in the beginning of that passage, it says there, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Your calling in life, what God has planned for you, is too great to be, to be laid on the altar of unforgiveness. What God has planned for you is too great to hold on to these grudges that you have. What God has planned for your marriage is too great to hold on to those things that your partner does that bugs the tar out of you. Your family, what God has planned for your family is too great to hold on to those things that the kids and the parent and all these things that your mom or dad may have done to you or may not have done or that your kids may have done or may not have done. Just your, what God wants to do in your lives is far too great to hold on to these things. And the truth of the matter is Satan wants nothing best for you to do what? Hold on to this grudge against people around you so that why? Your focus becomes here rather than here. That your focus becomes on the pain that is here and you become trapped rather than seeing what he has for us, which is out here. What I hold on to will be what I focus on to. What I allow to grab my attention, it will be what I focus on to. One of my favorite things that Julie and I have agreed to in our, in our, our discussions as couples, as we fight. Um, one of the things that we, 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 we agree to is that um, life is one. Life is too short to hold on to grudges. And maybe it's more so me that agrees to this than anything. But anyway... Life's too short to hold on to things that go wrong. The more I focus in on something that maybe I, she focuses on something I have done or she has done, life is too short and we don't have that much time to spend focused in on those types of things that bring us down and knock us off of the calling that God has for us. And so we make a choice to be quick to forgive. 
We also have a rule in our home that we try not to go more than 24 hours without addressing an issue. Now, Scripture says don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I'll be completely honest, that's a great, that's a great goal to search for. But how many of you are married to somebody when they think clear after they sleep? You can raise your hand. Yeah. It's sometimes it's better to let someone go get some rest and then address an issue. To let someone get away and actually sleep for a little bit and then you get up. But here's the thing. If you're not man enough to address the issue in the morning, then don't do it. If you're not a man enough or... or, or got enough guts to address an issue after that period of time hesitate before you take a break because it does need to come back to so my calling is too great i know that life is too short here's the second thing in this because my calling is too great that i'm too valuable to god to live with a grudge god has a plan for my life he has a plan for your life he has called us, he told us, to, he urged us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. In other words, we need to be willing to walk. We need to be able to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that he has on our lives. That a way that allows us to walk out what he has. And in this particular piece, I see that God has a plan for our lives when we belong to him. That he has something he wants us to accomplish. And so in this particular piece, I have to realize that my calling is too great. And so there Therefore, life is short and we have things to accomplish. The second thing, because he has called me to something, I find, he finds me valuable to him. Therefore, I cannot live with a grudge. And in this particular piece, we have to understand that I have to be willing to allow myself to see myself the way God sees me, which is valuable. Now, here's how here's what will get in the way. Somebody wrongs us and we get caught up in a victim mentality. Well, Chad, you have no idea what they did to me and how bad they hurt me and, and what was done. And, and you're, you're probably right. I, I don't know. I may have an idea. I may have an idea how somebody, a trusted adult, treated you in such a way that you should have never been treated. I have an idea that maybe somebody touched you in a way that you should have never been touched. That somebody may have forced themselves on you in a way they should have never forced themselves on you. That someone said something to you that you did not deserve. That someone put you down and had no place, no reason to put you down. That someone may have put their hands on you when they shouldn't have never put their hands on you. And we can go through the list of it all. Somebody wasn't there for you when they said they were going to be. Somebody neglected you and didn't do their job as a parent or as a parent figure. In all of this, it happens. It happens to a lot of people. And imagine the worst of the worst and it happens. Because there's evil in the world. And in this, we have to realize that, you know what, there's a piece of this that we need to understand. As much as has been done to me, here's what we need to understand is, are you still breathing today? 
Are you still living today? You're not a victim. There's a difference, guys. Victims are powerless. Victims focus too much on what's been done to them rather than what they have done. God has called us to something more than being a victim. And so when you switch from being a victim, oh, this is what's been done to me. And I'm not making light of what's been done to you. This is what's been done to me. And I'll say this, but what have you done in response? You have the power to release somebody. You have the power to forgive. You have the power to keep living. You have the power to take hold of what God has called you to and live that peace out. That is not a victim. And so you switch the story of this. I was yelled at. I was called worthless. I was called a failure. I was called that everything I was doing was wrong. All this. Versus, you know what? In the midst of all this, God called me to forgive and I forgave. In the midst of all the hurt, God called me to something better and I used my hurt to help somebody else. Therefore, I used God's power in me to accomplish what he called me to. That's not a victim. If I focus in on this, I'm a victim. If I focus in on God's calling, I'm much more than that. I'm walking out exactly what he's called me to. The question is, which one will I choose to be? My calling is too great. Life is too short. And I'm too valuable to hold on to that grudge. So let's ask this question. How do I get over it? If I'm going to claim it, if we're going to make this claim, I'm over it. How do we do that? Let's use these three questions to guide us. Three questions to guide us. So the first one is, what do I want to be known for? How many of you guys know someone that's bitter? Okay, don't point to them if they're in the room, okay, or the her. Everybody knows somebody that's bitter. You know how you can tell a lot of times um, they, they, they treat people like junk. And so one of the things that we, we all know people that are bitter, and we all run across, the question is, is that who you want to be known for? Is that when you look in the mirror, because there's only one person that you really have control over to some degree, and guess who it is? It's that person you look in the mirror at. So when you look in the mirror, the question you have to ask yourself is this, who do I want to be? What do I want to be known for? Do I want to be known for a person that's bitter? Do I want to be known as a victim? Do I want to be known as somebody that holds on to grudges? Do I want to be known as someone that... that, that stays trapped and in bondage for the rest of my life. If I want to be known for that, then guess what? Keep holding on to the grudges that you have. You're doing great. But remember what I said. No one has ever said their life was better because they held on to a grudge, and no one made their life better by holding on to a grudge. So a lot of us, anyone in here, not want their life to be better than what it is today. Okay, so no one raised their hand. So we're good. We're all on the same field here, right? Therefore, because of that, we have some things we need to tweak about how we handle things. So what do I want to be known for? I want to be known as a guy that loves people and is quick to forgive. I want to be known as a guy that can walk around with a smile and that, you know what, people, things can get said and it's okay. 
I want to be known as a guy that, you know what, it doesn't matter really what goes on. My calling's too great for what God has to get trapped in all of this stuff. And so in this particular piece, the question we have to ask is, what do I want to be known for? And if, if, that, if, you're, and if you're like, okay, well, Chad, I'm not really sure about that. Let me ask you this. What do you want your kids to see? What do you want those closest to, to you to see in you? Do you want them to see a person that lives free or a person that lives in bondage? Do you want them to see it as a victim or do you want them to see someone that's powerful? These are the questions we start with. Proverbs 19.11 reads this. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. In the NLT it reads this. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. So let's look at this. Proverbs tells me that good sense makes one slow to anger or Another version says sensible people control their temper. Anybody in here not want to be known as a sensible person? Because the other side of that is you're unsensible. You lack control. So in this particular piece, because of that, I need to learn, as I look in the mirror, do I want to be someone that is slow to anger? Now watch what it says next. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Now, here's what I want to focus on. A lot of times when we read his glory in the, in the scriptures, it's talking about God's glory, but it's not talking about that here. When we are slow to become angry, when we overlook an offense, guess what it does for us? It helps us look better. It helps people look at us differently in a positive light. When we choose to overlook an offense to get over it, it helps us look differently to people. So if you don't want to look different than people, then hold your grudges and and be offended by everyone. Because Lord knows in the world we live at today, everyone's offended by everything. Someone sneezes in the wrong direction and someone's offended. We look differently when we treat things differently. When we learn to get over things, we look different to people. Okay. Second question. What do I fill the gap with? And here's, here's let's kind of focus on this particular piece because this is pretty interesting. If you get anything out of today, here's what I want you to get out of. One of the things I love doing is I, I, love, I love coaching. I love to be able to influence kids, and it's pretty awesome. One of the things that I'm noticing is that we, we started, Josh's game started last week, which we tied 12-12. Josh was awesome. He even told me it. Anyway, he, so we started, and one of the things, we had this, this kid, and, and he's sitting there, and, and he, he started the, 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 prag, the time off by getting nailed in the head by a ball, so that didn't go so well. And then he didn't want to play the game, and he spent there crying. Whole, whole four courts crying. And we tried to encourage and, and all this and, and everything. Here's what I know to be true. When anybody's hurting or anybody is, is shut down, there's something that I don't know that's going on. 
there's a gap there between what they know and what I know. And there's a gap that exists. And if I never take the time to figure out what's in the gap, guess what my tendency is to do? Fill that gap with my own perspective. So someone comes up to me and they say something that's hurtful, right? I don't know what's going on in their life or what led them to this point, but all I know is something that was said to me was hurtful or done to me that was hurtful, and there's a void there. And my tendency is to fill that gap with what? Something that is negative. And so I will project or I will put my perspective on it. And normal, most of the time, it will be something negative and it won't be truth. And so here's what I have the choice to do in this particular situation. When I don't know what's going on, I can take the time to figure out what is going on in that person's life. But if I don't have the time to do that, which sometimes I don't, I have to fill that gap with something. That gap can be filled with two things until I gain more information. The first thing we can fill it with is hate. Hate. Anger. I hate that person. How dare they talk to me that way? How dare they do this? How I just, something's wrong with them and that just, we just fill it with hatred. And negativity. The second thing I can fill it with, and this is what I pray we start to learn how to do, is how do I fill it with love? With the benefit of the doubt. To say, you know what? Maybe they just had a fight with their spouse before they came in the door. Maybe they're, maybe they're just wounded by a past experience or someone, maybe something took place, and I just need to sit there and, and, and just love them. Maybe they're stressed by something that's going on in their lives. And you know what? That's okay. There's a gap that exists. What do I fill that gap with? And so when I fill it, so the question is, is what do I fill the gap with? Love or hate? Proverbs 17 to 9 says this. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So whoever covers an offense, so there's, a, there's a, a gap here. Whoever covers an offense, in other words, you fill that gap, you cover that gap, that offense with love. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So what do I do? Do I respond with hate? Do I respond with hate with hate? And I separate close friends? Or do I respond with love and see that offense covered over? Second Ephesians 2 says this, with, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So Ephesians 2, we just read it. My calling's too great. What God has for me to do. So what does he tell me to do after that? So I need to walk with humility. I need to be gentle. I need to take things with, with gentleness, with patience. I need to bear with, we need to bear with each other in love. I need to fill that gap with love. Colossians 3.12 says this, put on then as God's chosen ones. And that, just so you know before that, the reason why we can put on then is because of what, who God is. And it goes into who God is. But, but put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so I need to be willing to come at that gap with kind of compassionate heart, with kindness, with humility, with meekness, and patience. And then Proverbs ten twelve reads this. And we can read this together. What's it say? Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. What I choose to put in that gap will determine the outcome of that event. Will determine how that person sees me. What will I put in the gap? Second thing, lastly, is this. The third question is, um, what do I practice? Did you know that forgiveness is a practice? Something we have to practice. Something we have to do over and over again. It's not a one-time shot. Why is not one shot time shot? Because too many things come back up. Too many things get done. Like um, someone breaks trust, and they, the next thing you know, they break it again. And so forgiveness has to be this this ongoing practice that we try. And then also because we can't forget, the memory of things come up, and so we have to put into this thing practicing forgiveness. We have to do it over again. Jesus even tells his disciples, "Don't just forgive them seven times seven. Forgive them seventy times seven. Right? He gives them, he says, you've got to keep doing it. It's not something you do once and you get over. You've got to keep doing it. So he gets into this particular piece. And so we need to learn uh, this idea of practicing. Here's what, here's what some things I'm going to give you some helpful tips in this particular piece. Do you know that when the memory of something wrong happens in our lives, do you know what happens in our brains? Adrenaline shoots in it. Do you know what adrenaline does? Adrenaline and cortisol, do you all know what it does? It's what the fight, fight or flight mechanism is in our brains. It would either tells us to fight or, to, or, to, fight or to, to get out of town. So just so you know, when the memory of something harmful or when something harmful happens to you, your brain has got adrenaline and cortisol in it. And it heightens, shoots in. Y'all follow me? So that particular piece is going on when something bad happens to us. The next question is, what do we do with that? Do you know that there is a, a, a nerve, this may be too much science, but there's a nerve that's right behind your diaphragm. It's called the vagus nerve. And it shoots up to your brain, and it hits, sits in this place called the hippocampus, I believe. And so what happens is, is this vagus nerve can be triggered. You want to know how it can be triggered? What? By breathing. I want you all to try something with me. This is pretty cool. There's a thing called paced breathing. And here's why I want us to understand this is because this is truly effective. Your pastor suffers from high blood pressure. And so when I go into the doctor's office and I practice this particular exercise, my blood pressure reads normal. I fool them. When I don't practice this, it's shot high because doctors make me nervous. Anyway, so here's what a paced breathing looks like. It's an inhale. So we're going to inhale. Everybody inhale. Now we're going to exhale, and we're going to do a long exhale. Ready? Extend your exhale further than your inhale. And we can do it again. Ready? Endorphins were just released into your brain to help you calm down. 
to help you address things that are painful in a good way. Do you know what? You can't OD over pace breathing. You don't have to go to a pharmacist to get a pill for this. It is a gift from God that he designed our bodies in such a way that simply doing a deep belly breathe. Now, if your chest moves, make sure your belly breathe. And don't try to suck it in and make everyone impressed with how thin your belly is. It just is where you let it all go out. But you do this pace breathing piece, and we practice this over and over again. So every time that memory of that harmful thing takes place, start breathing and watch God, how he designed our bodies, calm us down. And so we do this. Why? So we can make a rational next step. So we do the pace breathing. Two deep breaths. You can even do more. Right after this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find something to be grateful for. If your spouse is the one you're breathing over, find something grateful about them. I have to say, I think when Julie and I were walking through one of the hardest times of our lives, um, one of the things I remember her telling me is, Chad, I, I, I have to find something to be grateful for you about. I look for things to be grateful for you because when I focus in on that piece, then the forgiveness piece comes. So we find something to be grateful for. If you cannot find something in that person to be grateful about, find something in the world to be grateful about. Do not watch Fox News or CNN at this time. Go watch Bob Ross and learn how happy accidents are amazing. Find something to be grateful for. If you're an athlete and you're, you, you're having a hard time dealing with um, making a shot right before or a match, right before you take a shot, do the pace breathing and watch how much you'll calm down. It's amazing. Okay, so we're going to find something to be grateful for. The third thing in this is what we're practicing. So the, we're realizing what's going on in our brain. We're addressing it with what, the way God designed our body through the, 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 the breathing. We're finding something to be grateful for. Then the last thing is when we practice is we're seeing the power in us that we have to forgive and not looking at ourselves as a victim. And we're holding on to the fact that we're powerful enough to forgive just like we've been forgiven. So this is what we're doing. We're practicing this idea of releasing. We're practicing this idea of what it does to forgive. So when I practice releasing, when I practice this letting go piece, when I practice this getting over it piece, I stop holding on. I stop pressing in to that hurt and I start releasing. And then I start practicing releasing the person and the offense. Proverbs 30, 33 reads this. For pressing milk produces curds. Another version said for um, churning milk produces butter. So if you think about this, this idea of you're constantly doing this, pressing the milk, and it produces these curds or produces butter, it turns that milk into a solid substance. See, when we start pressing in on the pain and all of this, it becomes solid. It becomes this piece that it's not that, that, that's there that gets in the way of what God has for pressing milk produces curds. Pressing the nose produces blood. This is the act of pressing in and not releasing what God has for us. And pressing anger produces strife. 
We have to stop pressing and holding on to these grudges. And we need to learn to release and practice releasing and getting over it. So when we come to this point, we're practicing the, the, the very things that we can in life to get over. We're practicing releasing. But here's what we're saying to ourselves. We're saying to ourselves that I am... Oh, my goodness. Are you all kidding me? I'm going to preach the whole message again. We are practicing what? I am... Your calling's too great. God's got a great plan for your life to hold on to things that you don't need to hold on to. When God has given us the, the, the will, the power to let go, release what he has, and get rid of these grudges in our lives. Father God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you've called us to something more in our lives. And I pray, Father, that as we look at what it means to forgive those around us, Lord, that we would realize how much you want us over these offenses. Lord, help us fill gaps of those people that hurt us with your love and not hate. Help us not to see ourselves as victims, but to help us see ourselves as the ones that are powerful enough to forgive and see ourselves in that light. More and more, Lord, as we look ourselves in the mirror, may we see that a powerful individual that has just what it takes to get over things in our lives and not be stuck. So help us practice these things in our lives. Not of pressing and causing strife, but of releasing and causing freedom. Lord, we love you and praise you, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Communion tables are open, and you can take communion today. The offering bins, is you can give uh, a portion of what God's given to you back to him. Um, you can stand and sing with us, and then the team will be over here to pray with you. You respond how God leads. If there's something you're holding on to today, a grudge, a hurt, a pain, release it. Practice releasing it today and watch what God does. If you need prayer over that, come see us, and we'll be happy to do that. You guys respond how God leads.